Revelation chapter 8, as we look into um, this book with a theme of revealing Jesus as champion. I really do believe that is clearly the theme of the book of Revelation, is that Jesus reigns, Jesus rules, Jesus is the champion over the world, over history, over the universe, and uh, everything and everyone and every spirit and every uh, opposition to him will be overcome, and uh, he will sit on the throne forever and forever. Uh, tonight we come to Revelation chapter 8, the seven trumpets, and um, as we look at this, uh, just a reminder, lots and lots of interpretations for these things. Uh, when I was in seminary, um, some of my professors felt like this was a literal seven-year tribulation, rapturous literal seven-year tribulation. Christ comes with the millennial reign at the end of that. Uh, others see it more as symbolic of tribulation throughout all the ages of the church. And there are those today, uh, many of Hal Lindsey and um, um, Left Behind series have made their premillennial ones that uh, David Jeremiah, Charles Stanley, a lot of these guys uh, hold to that. Uh, there are others that we greatly respect that don't hold to that. And so, uh, but what we do know is that the message is clear. The message is clear that Jesus is the champion. So look in Revelation chapter 8, verse 1, and uh, look at what the Lord says, and we'll walk through this thing and see what uh, he asked for us this evening. And when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Uh, silence for about a half an hour. Uh, if you um, have small children or you remember back when you had small children, especially a year and a half, two, three years old, uh, this is something you prayed for for many days. <laughs> that you would have silence for about a half an hour. Uh, you got tired of, uh, you thought your child would wear your name out. Mommy, 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 mommy. And then when they get to around two, two and a half years old, they hit the whys. It seems like every child hits the whys. Why, 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 why? And you run through that. And then you find out that the only thing worse than them talking all the time is when they get real quiet. <laughs> and then you got to wonder, what are they into? And uh, several things can be going on. I remember one lady said, see, they had silence in their house for about a half an hour, and she went and checked, and one of her children had, was completely coating his naked body in peanut butter. <laughs> she said, I think it would have just been easier to have another one than clean that one up. <laughs> Uh, can you imagine trying to clean up a little kid covered in peanut butter? Uh, another one said that they came back to their room, that the silence for about a half hour, an hour, had a snake in his room, decided he would adopt a snake. And so that, that was going on. That's probably not a great idea either. Uh, another lady said she had two, two boys, about two and three years old, and they were taking turns jumping off the bed, grabbing the ceiling fan, and taking a spin. <laughs> They were being very quiet about it, though. <laughs> so you have to decide, is that worth the quiet, or do we go in there and put a stop to the ceiling fan? Uh, they were taking their turns, I guess. Now, a little blonde-headed girl said that one of the things that she loved to do when she would get quiet was she would, blonde, little blonde-headed girl, she would sit in the chimney and look up, and her mom would come in, and that soot would come all over that uh, blonde hair. Uh, I asked in my Sunday school class this morning some of these kinds of things. Of course, you know, they play with their mama's makeup. You tend to get the hair-cutting thing. You know, a lot of them cut their hair at that time. They color on their walls. And uh, one of our ladies said in Sunday school this morning, they went in there to check, see what theirs was doing, and they had their toys out, and they were playing with their toys in the toilet. <laughs> baptizing them, I guess, is what the, what the idea was there. Well, in Revelation chapter uh, 8, we hit silence for about a half an hour. What we've done so far is we've had the seven seal judgments. 
Uh, there, there, there are three sets of seven judgments in Revelation. You've got the seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, and then the bowl judgments. And typically, the seventh, well, the seventh seal, kind of like a nesting doll, it opened up into the seven trumpets. The seven trump, seventh trumpet will do the same thing. It'll sort of open it. We won't get to it to chapter 11 or so. It'll sort of open up into the seven bowls. But here's the thing. As, as we get into this, we, sometimes we get this real narrow focus to try to figure out exactly what all this means. We'll see tonight. It's really, really difficult to try to make exactly precise what these things are seeing. John's seeing all this. He's trying to write down what he sees. But it's hard to miss three sets of seven judgments. Uh, three is the number of perfection, the trinity is the number of three. It's the number of perfection. Uh, seven's the number of completion in the Bible, the seven days of creation. It's also the number of fulfillment, of promise keeping. And so when you get the number three of perfection, the number seven of fulfillment, what you, the message is very clear. You're having a complete and perfect fulfillment of God's promises of judgment to those who reject His Son. Just as God's promises of grace are true to us, just as God's promises of love, of God's promises of forgiveness are true, so are His promises of wrath to those who defy Him. And understand, that's what happens to those who defy God, who say, no, I'm going to do it my way. I want to see my will done on earth, not yours. And in fact, when I do that and you offer me grace and forgiveness and we say no to Jesus, and we reject Christ, uh, there will be a complete and perfect fulfillment of God's judgment upon those who choose to do that. And so tonight as we look at these words, we want to remember that these words had meaning to John and to the people of his day. They have meaning for us in our day, and I believe there will be a complete fulfillment in the future. Now, some people think some of these things have already uh, been fulfilled. We know that they weren't in the time of John because in Revelation 4 it says, I'm going to show you things which are to come to pass. And so there were future, at least we know, uh, for John as he prepares for this. And so as John writes, he's writing to people in persecution, and that's where the theme really helps them to see the persecutors, while they prayed for them to be saved, while we want them to be saved, while they preached the gospel into many kind acts of um, of a redemptive nature. In Acts 16, we're going to see this coming Wednesday night of how Paul and Silas sang while they're in prison. The cruel, vicious jailer gets saved, and so God continues to extend his mercy. But what we also see is that time of mercy is limited upon the earth. There will become a day when that mercy, and that day is at the end, okay? That day is not today. That day is at the end. That those who persecute God's people, those who defy God, uh, they cannot expect anything but to face the judgment of Almighty God. So look, if you will, tonight, as we look at these things, I want us to see, what I want us to see tonight are the trumpet judgments. We'll do all seven tonight. Uh, what I want to see in this is, number one, we're going to see that God uh, uh, wants our attention, and, and, and we have God's attention. So we're going to talk about God's attention. We're going to talk about the atrocities that are becoming upon the earth when, when these judgments come, and then we're going to look at the action. What is our response to this? A lot of times, uh, people look at these things, and they try to uh, figure out exactly what they are, exactly when they're going to happen, and all these things. But these things have a meaning. What's the response? What are we to do in response to these seven judgments? First of all, let's look at attention. And we're going to see God gets people's attention tonight. And as we talk about this, don't think 
that the only way God gets people's attention is through horrific things. We'll see that tonight. But that's not his only way or even his preferred way of getting our attention. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 2, 5 that the kindness of God leads to repentance. The way God mainly wants to get our attention is through the cross of Christ, through the resurrection of Jesus. That is the main way. Uh, a lot of times when people say, God got my attention, it's through some, some awful thing, and that is a way. Okay, that is a legitimate way. But it's not the only way. We're going to see that tonight. It's not even the primary way. So far in Revelation, heaven has been a noisy place. <laughs> if you think about it, we've, had, we've heard loud voices, We've heard rumblings of thunder. We've heard multitudes singing. We've heard angels shouting, martyrs praying. I mean, heaven has been a noisy place. But what happens here in Romans 8, 1, look at what it says. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour, which tells us that it is appropriate to be noisy before God sometimes and silent before God. Sometimes not a prescribed way to act in the presence of God. Uh, now, with silence, you have to believe this gets people's, this is a call for attention. Because if uh, your professor or your teacher is teaching in school and your mind drifts away for a few minutes uh, and, he, and that teacher or professor stops for about 90 seconds, he's got everybody's attention, right? And you're wondering, did he just call on me? <laughs> did she just ask me a question? And especially if they kind of got your eye, you know. I, um, I was preaching on silence one time in one of my former churches, and I decided that I would sit down uh, near my chair during the sermon for about 60 seconds when, just to kind of see how that went. And uh, it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> and uh, I, find, I, don't, I don't think I lasted 60 seconds because people started laughing. Uh, anyway, it's just uncomfortable. You people get nervous and that kind of thing. And so uh, sometimes, you know, silence kind of makes us a little bit uh, uncomfortable. But I believe here the silence is a, is a sign for us to say there's a sense of awe, the sense of wonder at what has happened so far. And what has happened so far is we've seen this marvelous unveiling of Jesus We've seen um, the angels singing. We've seen people worshiping. We've seen some judgments that, that, have come, that are coming upon the earth. And, and so we had this sense of awe of God's majesty, God's presence, God's actions that, are, that have come and are coming. And then there's this sense of awe of what's about. There's this sense of anticipation of what's about to happen. I think there's an application for us here. You don't always have to be talking in God's presence. There's a place of silence. There's a place of thinking about what is God saying to me? What is God doing in my life? And that's one reason why I do a time, but what we typically have called in our past a uh, time of invitation at the end. I tend to say commitment during these days just for the sake of people who don't grow up in church and they may not, the word invitation is an odd word for a song if you didn't grow up in church. And so that's why a lot of times these days I'll say our time of commitment's coming up because that hopefully ex explains that a little bit better. But what the, and the reason why, and I'm not against singing during the invitation, at, at all, but one of the reasons why I like to have silence is for us to ponder what has God just said, to think about what is God saying, and, and to pray and talk to the Lord and, and to contemplate what is my response to what I've just heard, because growth comes 
not from just hearing, but by doing the will of God. And so that's why we do that. That's why I do that almost every service, Sunday morning and Sunday night. Uh, I try to do, give us some time to do that. Sometimes it would be helpful, and I've done this before, and not as often as I probably should. But sometimes before I do my quiet time, I just take about 30-second pause. And think about what you're about to do. You're about to pray to the living God. Lord, listen. It's going to respond to you. And, he, and you have, you have, well, I mean, we want to give him our attention, but what we're going to see tonight is he has our attention. Another application of this, the silence in heaven, is that every God-defying person, every Christ-defying government, every uh, arrogant person in government or academia or, or, uh, or, or entertainment or whatever else, one day all the voices against God will be silenced. They will be. Uh, the verse in the Old Testament said, on all the earth be silent before him. And that will actually happen one day. Now look at verse 2 in Revelation chapter 8. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and they were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God for the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it to the earth, and there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. So you got seven angels and another angel. We don't know exactly who these are. There are three angels named in the Bible, Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. Now, other than that, we don't know. We know they're the seraphim and the cherubim. We know there's orders of angels, but we don't know exactly uh, who these angels are. But it says they're standing before God. And to stand before God, it means the same thing as to serve God. So they're standing before God, listening for instructions. Isn't that a good way to worship? To sit or stand before God as a way of, almost as a way of standing at attention, saying, I'm ready to do whatever you say. You say it, and I'm going to be willing to do that. Now, the eighth angel has a censer in his hand. A censer is a short shovel or a small pan that's filled with red-hot coals. And the incense that he mentions here um, is in the Old Testament. The incense was symbolic of the prayers of the saints. And so we actually have the prayers of the saints here. And what you get here is that, that your prayers are valuable to God. They mean something to God. The golden censer tells us, your, I mean, what you put in something gold is valuable. And the fact that they come before God, who they're before, is something valuable as well. And the angel takes uh, your, the prayers of his people and the, and the incense, and he throws them to the earth. And what happens? Man, there's thunder and earthquake and, and lightnings and things like that. And so what he's saying is this, God responds to your prayers. We go back to the martyrs praying back in Revelation, what was it, six or so? And they're crying out saying, how long, O oh Lord, how long? And they're praying for God to bring vindication for them on the earth. And God's starting to do that, right? God is not insensitive to their suffering. He's not insensitive to their prayers. And he's not insensitive to yours. And he's not, in, and he's not callous toward your prayers either. On those nights when you're hurting, and those nights when you're in pain, physical pain, emotional pain, um, relationship pain, and you pray and it doesn't feel like anybody's listening, and you pray and you can't sense God's presence with you, that does not mean God's not listening. 
He is listening. This, these verses like this tell us that God is listening and God is paying attention and God is responding. You might not see it right now, but God is responding. I remember here in, uh, 10 or 15 years ago about some different groups that were bond, binding together to pray for Muslims on Fridays. Uh, Friday is kind of one of their holy days. And, I re- and y'all, I'll just be honest with you. I remember thinking, this has been, like I said, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I remember hearing several different groups saying they were praying specifically for God to do something in the Muslim world. And uh, the best way I can describe my response was, God bless you. (laughs) Just knock yourself out, pray all you want to. But I mean, you know, it's the Muslim world. But today, we're seeing people, a lot of people, especially in Iran, coming to Jesus getting saved, giving their heart and life to Christ. And, and, uh, and a great many of them from our mission organizations are saying they're coming to Christ through dreams. Jesus actually appeared to people. We never know how much the prayers of God's people is shaping the history of the world. And that's part of what we're learning here in Revelation, that God is responding to the prayers of his people. That's part of what God's doing here in, in, in this particular situation. Verse 5 says that fire comes from the very altar where the prayers were being offered. One man said this, that means the more potent, more powerful than all the dark, mighty powers let loose in the world, more powerful than anything else is the power of prayer set ablaze by the fire of God and cast upon the earth. Second thing, first of all, that's the first thing, is our attention needs to be on God and to be reaffirmed that God has our attention and our prayers truly do matter. God responds. Secondly, I want you to see the atrocities. We're going to see the seven trumpets here. And there's a differentiation, the first four uh, and the last three. The first four connected with the forces of nature, okay? The last two seem to be either with men or supernatural beings. The seventh one we won't get to until chapter 11, verse 15. So look at Revelation chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. So the, the seven angels, who had the seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And so the first trumpet sounds, and the earth experiences what? Hail and fire mingled with blood. It reminds us of the seventh plague in the, in the book of Exodus, right? The plague of hail that came against the people of Egypt. In fact, you're going to see about four of these trumpets directly uh, remind us of the plagues of Egypt. God is connecting the same God who acted in Egypt is the same God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's acting in the book of Revelation. When it says that it's mixed with blood, probably means what? This is such an atrocious thing that people are going to bleed. They're going to die. Things are going, people are going to be hurt because of the whole. Now, it says that it's going to be a third. And you're going to see that uh, a good bit from the first couple of trumpets. That's a third. And a third means what? The whole world's not destroyed, but enough to give serious warning. How many of you know when God gives serious warnings, it's enough to pay attention, right? Now, the results of this would be devastating. You're talking about air pollution, you're talking about soil erosion, you're talking about water um, contamination, and the destruction of all the green grass. Can you imagine how devastation that's going to be for the world? You're talking about livestock, 
problems. You're talking about vegetation problems. You're talking about all manner of food shortages that's going to be happening. And you can just, I mean, think back to the, um, just a couple of years ago with the pandemic, with people, you know, freaking out over having enough food and hoarding and all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine if all the green grass is gone from the earth? This is literal. That's going to cause so many problems with meat, milk, cheese, fruit trees. Now, just to kind of give you an idea, Adrian Rogers, who believes in a, uh, uh, Adrian Rogers is one of the most conservative Bible-believing guys you'll ever meet, right? Uh, believes in the tribulation, uh, literal seven-year tribulation, millennial, all that. Uh, he says, the green grass and trees in this passage symbolically speak of leaders and people. So he thinks he's talking about removing leaders and people from places of leadership position, which same thing. It's going to create all manner of panic and heartache in the world. So look at Revelation chapter 8 now, verse 8 and 9. Because I really believe that the way God wants to see this is it coming together. The second angel sounded. It's something like, was it a mountain, but it's like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third, there's our word again, a third of the sea became blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Um, once again, sounds like the first plague in the, in, the, in the Exodus, right? Water turned into blood. That's kind of the idea. That's what he's bringing back to our mind here. Now, a burning mountain, okay? Something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Doesn't tell us who threw it, but who's behind it? God is. God, all through Revelation, God is seated on the throne. God is the one in control. God is the one that's, let, that's either permitting all this to happen or causing uh, all this to happen. And so people have guessed, uh, tried to make guesses at what this is. Uh, some of the um, probably better guesses are a meteorite, a comma, a, co a comma. <laughs> There's a semicolon and an exclamation point, you know. Don't even get me started on the asterisk, okay? That's really going to be in trouble. <laughs> a meteorite or a comet, uh, something like that. Uh, others think it may be a simultaneous volcanic eruptions and the lava being broadcast into the sea, something along those kind, of, those kind of things. We just don't know. John doesn't tell us enough to let us know exactly what it is. But think about it. A third of the sea uh, becomes blood and a third of the living creatures uh, die and a third of the ships are destroyed. Uh, I did a little research in 2016. It says that anywhere uh, at most times of the world, there's around 50,000 ships on the ocean third of 50,000 ships going down and about five to six million containers with those 50,000 ships about five to six million containers filled with goods food things like that and all and, and like I said this might be symbolic of something but the only way we had to understand it is that's horrible okay that is something that's going to cause fishing industry seafood industry offshore drilling probably affected shipping industry all all, all, all this stuff's being affected okay by this whatever this is that's happening and people are going to be scared to death it reminds me of psalm 46 too therefore we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea so this is not to create panic among us tonight uh, we believe most of us believe that at this point the, the church has been raptured out and we're not here for this, okay? Probably, I believe that's probably true. Um, but either way, we're not to, get, we're not to let this get, give way to panic, but give way to trust. Look at Revelation chapter 8, verse 10. I'm going to go to the third angel now. And the third angel sounded. And a great star 
fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the stars, Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made uh, bitter. So the second trumpet, that was salt water. Now the third trumpet deals with fresh water, okay? And if fresh water is going to be affected in a great way, a third of the rivers and the springs of the water, a third of the fresh water is going to be affected here. And it says also there that... Um, that the name of the store is Wormwood. Wormwood was a shrub-like plant. It's very, very bitter, sometimes poisonous. And so the idea is you can't drink the water. Now, y'all, uh, you and I have seen pictures. Uh, I've thought back as I was studying of Hurricane Katrina. All those people standing around the Superdome, all those people standing on the interstates needing what? Water. They need water. And son, all manner of violence can break out if you don't have enough water. If we have tornadoes and, and things like that, what do we typically do? We send water, right? Why? Because you can't live without water. You can't live without good drinkable water. We get things like the Flint, Michigan and different places like that where people can't have fresh water. You, can't, you can live longer without food than you can without water. And so this is going to cause all manner of problems, all manner of uh, panic, all manner of people saying, what in the world is going on here? Groundwater supplies, public water supplies, uh, is going to be compromised seemingly almost instantly. And so you got these massive water shortages happening. Uh, as I said, we can think back to COVID a few years ago, and you can just imagine the hoarding of fresh water and people going after that. You say, well, I got a well. Well, how do you know your well won't be contaminated? You know, it's one of those things, one of those things where we like to think we can protect ourselves, but this is kind of widespread, widespread destruction here, and hopefully you won't be around to worry about your well, right? So it's, a, it's hard for us to imagine the growing panic with people dying all around the world. Revelation 8, 12, the fourth angel sounds, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. And so you've got the, the, the seawater, you've got the fresh water, and now we're, going into, now we're going into the heavens. We're going into the cosmic places. And uh, God says that a third of the, of the moon and the stars and the sun are going to be darkened. We don't know what that really means. We don't know how that's going to happen. Uh, some people think it's going to be like a nuclear winter with nuclear bombs going off and the, and the haze causing it only a third of that to get through, the ozone layer being destroyed. Uh, others think it's just a supernatural event. And we don't know. We don't know. Is it a third of them that's going to be affected or is it a third of the time that we're only going to have, you know, eight hours of daylight a day? Eight hours, of, uh, you know, and this, so that's going to affect what? The growing seasons. Can you imagine the panic that's going to mean, the, 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 the effects of depression and things like that that's going to happen on, on the world? And so um, some people think a partial eclipse is something that's going to be uh, uh, going for that. Whatever it is, whatever it is, it's going to be something like the world's never seen before. I mean, can you imagine the daylight being either Darkened to where you're only getting a third of it through or only getting into a third of the time. Adrian Rogers, once again, uh, with an interesting interpretation, he says symbolically, the sun, moon, and stars speak of the ruling authorities. We know that the stars, are uh, God uses that in Revelation for the pastor or the messengers of the churches. And so his, his, his interpretation is not all that, uh, now there's reason for it. Pastors of churches are spoken of as stars in the early part of the book of Revelation. This can mean that society's social structure will come apart. 
that the things God ordained to give guidance and light will be obliterated and Satan himself will be the prince of this world and his antichrist will brainwash millions. And so he's saying it may not be at something literally in the heavens. He's saying the governing authorities, the sense of order, the sense of um, you know, police force and fire and all that kind of stuff, the sense of order in the world begins to fall apart. And you have what? Anarchy. Now, you don't have enough food, you don't have enough fresh water, you don't have enough plants, and, and then all of a sudden you don't have government to go to to help you out with it, is what Adrian Rogers is saying. Look at verse 13, New International Version. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in the midair call out in a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. And so we got a, we got a brief interlude here. The, the, this, 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 this trumpet sounds and it's, it's not anything being poured out. The Bible says there's an eagle, oh, uh, the New King James and, and King James say uh, an angel. Um, the older manuscripts have eagles. Some of the other ones have angel. We don't know. But the eagle is a symbol of judgment here. Uh, some people think that the eagle sent messages in the olden days. And when it says he flew out in midair, the Greek word there for midair is, is at the zenith. He goes out really, really high. And he announces what? You ain't seen nothing yet. He says the other three woes are going to be worse than what you've seen so far. That's why the last three trumpet sounds are often called the three woes. The fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpets are often referred to that. And so uh, the idea here is that as hard as it is for us to imagine, the idea here is it's going to get even worse. And we'll see that in Revelation chapter 9. Look at verse 1 to 12, which is the fifth trumpet. And we get much more details here. And um, I think the best way is just go ahead and read the whole thing because uh, that is very, very descriptive. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. And there you see, and this is one reason why Adrian feels like the stars may be referring to people, because this star is obviously a person or a demon or an angel. This is somebody with personality because stars aren't given keys to unlock things, okay? So this is not a star. Uh, the star was given the key to the shift of the abyss. And he opened the bottomless pit. Smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of that pit. Then, that's not freaky enough, out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. Now, this goes back... Uh, to the plague of locusts back in Egypt. Once again, God connected himself with the plagues of Egypt. And to these locusts, and watch what, ha watch what happens with these guys. They were given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree. And this, once again, this is why Adrian probably feels like the grass may have been referring to leaders. Why, well, why would they be given a command not to hurt the grass if it was already all burned up? And the thing is, John's not being precise. You know, you can't just be exactly precise. He's trying to give you an idea of what's coming, and it's horrible, okay? But only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. Once again, hearkening back to the plagues of Egypt, here's one where God makes a distinction. The people that are saved, the 144,000 Jewish people that were saved, others that are going to be saved out of the great tribulation we saw back in Revelation 6, what is he saying? The people that belong to God won't suffer from this plague. Okay, that's really, you know, hopefully we won't even be here, but those who are saved will not have to suffer this plague. Look at verse 5. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will 
seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns, something like gold, and their faces were like faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth, and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and their sound of wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and they were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men for five months, and they had as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek has the name Apollyon. One woe is past. Remember the three woes. Uh, one woe is past. Behold, two more woes are coming after these things. Well, uh, so I told you Andy would explain all this. Andy, did you? <laughs> so the star, as I said, the star obviously has personality. The star is given a key. And so the star has been referred to as an angel, fallen angel. Some thinks it's Satan. I don't think it's Satan. He makes an appearance in chapter 12, and it's a much more dramatic appearance, and we know it's him. And so I don't think this is Satan here. Uh, some even say it's the Word of God. But what we do know is that a key is given to the star to unlock a pit. A lot of people think this is a, a fallen angel. I'm not too sure about that because uh, this is a very, uh, very important key this angel has. And when you get to chapter 20, uh, a strong angel still has the key to the bottomless pit. And so you kind of, and by the way, if it was a fallen angel, he might have let these guys loose before now, all right? Why would he not? Why would he keep them, uh, keep them up? And so these guys are, um, are 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 held until the fifth trumpet, and then you have this terrifying plague of, as best I understand, most commentaries I read believe the same thing: some kind of demonic locust. I, I, some people said these, because of the sound of the wings and things like this. Some people say these are are like the um, the attack helicopters. Um, you know, I, I have a hard time with that because they really seem to have personality. Uh, so some people think they're attacked by helicopters or something like this. But it says that they're a horde of locusts with power like scorpions. In the ancient world, the scorpion was one of the most feared things. It, it, was, it was a terrible, terrible sting that the, um, that the scorpions had. And they head straight uh, uh, for the people, right? They're, they're able to torment people. Now, now we're not freshwater, we're not saltwater uh, we're not, you know, the, not the hail and stuff like that. But now they're headed to torment people directly. Now, if it is demons, then I think it probably is, my best guess. They are especially vile, especially wicked, especially hurtful, and especially diabolical because they've been locked up. God's locked them up. And so they are unlike the demons that are on the earth today. And there's been a special place to hold these guys back. God's held them back. Praise God. Amen. Praise God that he doesn't turn loose Satan in his full power upon us. Reminds me of Peter when Jesus said, uh, Satan has desired to sift you. God doesn't let Satan and his demonic hordes turn their full power on us. Okay. He is like a roaring lion, but he's a lion on a chain. God has him on a chain. He can only do what God will let him do. And their main power, now they have a teeth like a lion, which is vicious, okay? He's talking about a vicious army here. But he says that their main weapon is not their teeth, but the stinger uh, in their tail. The people of John's day would probably think 
of a group of warriors called the Parthian warriors. Uh, the Parthian people were people to the east of, of Israel, uh, and Rome would, attack, Rome would attack them. And what the Parthians would do, then Rome learned not to do this, but what they would do is they would fake retreat, and they would come up a hill, and as the Romans followed them up the hill, they had trained warriors that would turn and shoot backwards with their bow and arrows. They trained archers to shoot backwards. And so the people of John, and they devastated Rome before they figured out what the, what the plan was here. And so people of John's day, they probably think in Parthian warriors, stingers in their tails. They're shooting arrows out behind them. So you see how the, 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 the possibilities here are pretty wild when you think about it. His name is Abaddon or Apollyon. The word means destroyer, the leader this group. Um, some people think of, you know, the Apollo was one of the Greek gods. Some people think that this is kind of a play on words, kind of a jab at the Greek gods of the day that Jesus is champion over any of their gods and all of their gods. Uh, the demonic locusts have a king and that's his name, Abaddon. It means destroyer. This is the picture of a seriously fearsome group of demons, barbarian warriors, some people think. And God specifically exempts his people that got saved from this particular uh, judgment. Unbelieving humanity, however, will suffer for five months. Why five months? Well, five months, you know, we don't know particularly, but five months stands for a limited time. So we're horrible, but there is a limited time that these guys are going to be turned loose on the face of the earth. And so you got the first trumpet, you got the seventh plague of, of Egypt, you got the second trumpet, which is, uh, uh, I mean, the first trumpet is the seventh plague, the second trumpet is the first plague, water being turned to blood. The fourth trumpet is the ninth plague of darkness. And then the fifth trumpet is the low plague of locusts. Now look at the last one that we'll do tonight, Revelation 9, verses 13 to 19. Then the sixth angel sounded. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for that hour, day, month, and year were released to kill a third of mankind. So we don't think these are probably good angels. We think there's probably fallen angels at this point. Now the number of the army of the horsemen were 200 million. I heard the number of them and I saw the horses in the vision. Now, those who sat on them had breastplates of fire red, high synth blue, and sulfur yellow. The heads of the horses were like heads of lions. Out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. Previously, it was in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads which do them harm. And so once again, it looks like these four angels have been kept in captivity, uh, fallen angels, demonic angels, just for this purpose, for this time in history. Once again, we can praise God that he's not turned this supernatural Calvary that he's going to, and I don't mean Calvary, I mean like riding horses cal Calvary, not Calvary, Calvary. Uh, these have been kept, they've been kept in this time to wreak havoc and destruction upon the earth. What we see here, guys, what we see here is absolute atrocity. And the reason I want to do all seven in one night is because you got to kind of catch the flow here. This is going to be bam, 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 bam. Uh, these kind of things happening. And you would think, what? My goodness, what in the world do people do with this? Where do people turn with this? What do you do in this kind of situation? Well, we know that we trust God when things are hard. But we're going to see in a minute, these guys do the opposite of that. So let's go to our third point. 
So we got the attentions on God. We see a coming atrocities. And by the way, even if you and I are not here for this, we're going to live through enough hard times so that we need to turn to God too, right? We need to trust in God. We need to hide in God. We don't, we, there are things out there bigger than you and I are. So last of all, actually, what's the response of all this? How do we react? How many, too, too many people fight theological issues here. They, they split hairs. They try to figure out just what it is. And if you don't agree with my interpretation of what these locusts mean, then, then we get all uptight. That's not what this is about. That's not what this is is for. In fact, um, one writer wrote, who cannot see that the world is already in decline and no longer has the strength and vigor of former times, saying that the world is about, that Christ is about to come. Who wrote that? Cyprian, AD 250. Okay. Another person wrote um, that the times precisely match Jesus' description of the end times. The day of judgment is not far off. Martin Luther, around 1615. Uh, a Massachusetts pastor preached a series of messages on the signs in the end, and he said, There's never been in an age in a period of the world wherein events have more nearly corresponded to the prophetic description than right now, written in 1756. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that to make fun. I'm saying that to say every generation is supposed to look for the coming of Christ. Every generation is to expect Christ to come and their generation. But we don't need to get too haughty or too prideful in our biblical interpretations and say, we know that this is when it's going to happen. Because anybody and everybody who said, this is when it's going to happen. I remember hearing y'all, I can remember when I was a little boy, I can remember um, evangelist, and he had a, a three-piece white suit with white shoes and a white belt. <laughs> Had it going on. Y'all remember those days? <laughs> and I remember he did a big thing on Revelation. I remember him saying, Jesus will definitely come back before the year 2000. You can write it down. And so we don't want to go there, right? Y2K. There was a big thing around Y2K. Jesus is going to come back around Y2K. And so we have that. Our action is not to say what it's going to be in you know, the next year or two. Our action is always to be ready. He could come back at any time and to respond in repentance. Look, if you will, in verse 20 and 21, Revelation chapter 9. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, watch this, this is what blows your mind, did not repent of the works of their hands. That they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which neither can see, hear, nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Despite the horror of what they were living through, despite the awful times that they were going through, what did they do? They kept trying to comfort themselves for what they always comfort themselves with. Stealing, what's that, money? Sexual immorality, pleasure. They, they, they still don't, you think at a certain point someone has to turn to God, but they don't. God won't make you turn to Him. The, the response for us in any tragedy, in any difficulty, any kind of atrocity that hits our world or hits our lives is what? To turn to God, not away from God, but to turn to God and to say, is there something? Now, don't get in a guilt thing over it. We we'll always want to ask, is there something in my life that's wrong? Is there something I'm doing to cause this particular situation in my life? And if it's not, to say, Lord, I'm, going, I'm not going to my sin to comfort myself 
I'm not going to alcohol. I'm not going to the pills. I'm not going to sexual immorality. I'm not going to hide my work. I'm not going to hide my hobby. I'm not going to hide my money. I'm not going to hide in my vacation. I'm not going to hide in all that kind of stuff. When the, when, when I'm going to live like I'm living now. I'm going to hide in Jesus. Rock of ages, cleft, safety place for me. That's where I'm going to hang out. So tonight we see God deserves our attention. He warns us of these atrocities and what kind of action we're to have. And what I want you to see is that behind all the judgment, behind all the horror of these, uh, of these last times that we're talking about, is a God that wants to rescue people. Is a God of love who's got his hand out and doing, you know, what he can do to say, your way won't work. The way of humanity without God doesn't work and will not turn out well. I mean, it's one of the main, I think that's the one message uh, that we can stomp our foot on and say, I know this is right. The way of humanity apart from God is not going to turn out well. So what? Turn to me. Focus your attention on me. And we see that God, in his sovereignty, will allow some things, but he will also protect us from some things. And so the last thing I'll say tonight is this. With all the demonic locusts and hordes and people coming out of the abyss and uh, teeth like lions and stingers in their tails and all that kind of stuff, there is something worse than all of that. And that is for a person today to die without Jesus. You see, people get some kind of, kind of fixated on all that horrible stuff that's going to happen, and, and it is for sure. But even without all of that, a person today that dies without Jesus faces a worse situation than even these people will face. And so for you, stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed tonight. What I would encourage you to do is two things tonight as we think about this. One, Thank God for safety in Jesus. Thank God for the protection of the blood of Christ. Thank God there are some things he will not allow you to go through. Some things you won't have to travel through. Uh, some situations you don't have to live in. Thank God. We, we live in far enough, but thank God there's, you don't have to live in all of them. And pray for the people who don't know Jesus. Pray for the people, whether they go through this time of tribulation or not, whether that happens next year, and it could. It could happen tonight. The same thing could all get kicked off tonight. Regardless, we pray for people to come to Jesus now. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, that your heart is most clearly seen, not in the judgments of Revelation, but in the cross of Calvary. And I thank you, Lord, that you give people all these opportunities to repent all these opportunities to turn to you, all these opportunities to see that their way doesn't work. Lord, help us see it in our own lives. And we hit the wall of bitterness and the wall of aggravation and irritation and frustration. Help us to see, Lord, many times that our way just isn't working. And we need to turn to you. Lord, give us a heart for people that don't know Jesus tonight. It's a heart people who are away from Christ tonight. Help us.